This is the InFocus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to another episode of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host G Sampath. A court in Qatar has handed death sentences to eight Indian citizens, all of them former personnel of the Indian Navy. The ex-Navy men were convicted on charges of spying for Israel. India has termed the sentencing deeply shocking and has said it is exploring all legal options. The Indians were all employees of a defunct company, Doha-based Dara Global, and had been arrested in August 2022. So how did these Indian nationals end up in this situation? What are the chances that their lives can be saved? And what can New Delhi do to bring them safely back to India? We explored all these questions in this episode of In Focus, and we have with us Talmiz Ahmed, a former diplomat who holds the Ram Sate Chair in International Studies at Symbiosis International University, Pune. Mr. Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Ahmed. To start with, uh, can you just give us a quick understanding of what were these eight Indian nationals doing in Qatar when they were arrested? According to news reports. Uh, these uh, personnel were working with a company based in Doha. It was called Al Dahra Global Technologies. Uh, the company, it appears, was owned by an Omani national who was uh, earlier, before retirement, uh, in the Omani Air Force, and uh, they were all based in. This company was uh, registered in Qatar. And it appears that they used to provide training for uh, uh, the navy personnel of the Qatari uh, navy, and also possibly had some role to play in regard to supplies of defense equipment. We don't know enough. This is all we know, and uh, this is the context in which uh, they were uh, arrested. We understand that this company was a fairly large company. It had about seventy-five Indian personnel, uh, most of them from the navy. These were retired people. Uh, of the people arrested, two of them held the rank of captain, and five of them were commander rank, and one of them was a sailor. They were all arrested in August twenty twenty-two. Right. So, how serious uh, are the espionage charges, and has India denied these charges in its engagement with Qatar so far? You see, this uh, this scenario is very confusing, and I am not sure we have got anything categorical in this regard. Most of our information is from news reports, and news reports frequently quote uh, unnamed sources. Some of them are uh, many of the time when we read a report, it appears as if they may have been a deep background briefing. Many of the other reports are based on speculation. What we have heard from the government of India is the following: number one, that the government was shocked by the announcement of the death sentence; number two, that it is totally supportive of the personnel concerned, and that it will make every effort. To ensure that these personnel come home safe, I am not sure whether there has been a categorical statement from the government of India as to whether it is they are innocent or not. 
it appears from the statements as uh, uh, reported in media that the government of India does not have sufficient information about the case. That is why it was shocked. And that is why it is promising total support. So the question of innocence versus guilt has not been uh, discussed in the public domain because that would indicate that the government of India is fully familiar with the case. And that has not been accepted so far in public by anyone in an official position. Right. Now, uh, in terms of what the charges were and uh, what the death sentencing uh, statement says, uh, from what we know from the first court of first court of first instance of Qatar, I think is the name of the court. So have they explicitly stated, because many international Indian media has been uh, uh, sort of uh, only saying that they have been accused of spying, but international media have said they, they have been charged with spying for Israel. So what are your thoughts on this Israel uh, uh, dimension coming into the picture? Once again, the scenario is very confusing because we are dependent on uh, news reports. And there is no indication in the report that they are based on any authoritative sources. Most of the sources are unnamed. Now, with regard to the charges, again, there is a confusion. It appears that the, an Italian company was uh, contracted to supply submarines and that these, sub these submarines had certain uh, you know, capacity uh, certain, that they could evade uh, detection underwater when they were operational. And that this particular technology appears to have been passed on to a third country. No Qatari source has given any details of any other of this so-called third country. No name has been mentioned. There is only a report from Financial Times where they have said that they have they have information from informed sources that this was the country concerned is Israel. So that is all we know. There are the alternatives also. Sources in India, including a former Navy chief, have said that there is no such Italian contract. In fact, the Italian company itself has been quoted as saying that we there is no such submarine contract, that all the contracts that we actually have are for surface vehicles, not for a submarine, and that uh, uh, we are not aware of any such contract, nor about any third party involvement. So this is all very murky in the sense that uh, the company being quoted as saying we don't know about any contract. You could say that possibly there is a contract and the company doesn't want to admit it. Nobody likes to talk about the details of a, a defense contract in the public domain, particularly one that has become controversial. So I'm not able to gauge at this stage what is the authenticity of the remarks that have come up, whether there was a contract and what kind of espionage occurred and which was the beneficiary in this regard. All of this has no substantive authority behind it. Right. And what do you uh, make of uh, media reports, uh, especially in the Indian media, which have sought to blame uh, Pakistan for sort of uh, muddying the waters, this entire scenario? You see, in the absence of any authentic information, large sections of our media have gone berserk and have said certain things which are 
completely uncalled for, which are not based on any foundation, any source of information, any fact whatsoever. It's a lot. It's like a free play that everyone has had uh, uh, a great time uh, trying to speculate on what might have happened. And these speculations, particularly in such a serious matter, are very this. Uh, they are very dangerous. They serve no useful purpose. Some of them are obnoxious in character in terms of abusing Qatar by name uh, and also uh, exposing a certain uh, right-wing, hardline, uh, you know, ideological approach to another country, which again, I believe, serves no useful purpose, given that nearly 800,000 Indians are actually working there in this small country. So as far as Pakistan is concerned, it's a very easy bugbear. There are also such reports in Pakistan itself. Pakistanis are also having a great time. They also have no hard information. But just as much as we are uh, uh, we are raising the Pakistan bogey, they themselves are also involved in this. This is usually social media. So sections of the uh, Pakistani social media have said that this uh, information relating to the Indians might have been given by Pakistani intelligence services. Or certain Indian sources are suggesting that there is an ugly Pakistani hand in this. And that the other side from the Indian side is saying that possibly Pakistan framed these people and has got them into this kind of trouble because of its perennial hostility to India. There is no basis whatsoever for this speculation. We have no information about Pakistani involvement, either in terms of a tip-off or in terms of framing anybody. I personally believe it is a mirage, a chimera, and I think we should ignore it entirely. Uh, we have no information so far that there is any Pakistani hand in this. Having said this, I would also point out that I doubt that there is a Pakistani hand. Pakistan is not that credible a role player in Qatar as some of the writers in India would like to believe. And I believe that the Qataris have enough good sense of their own to be able to make objective judgments about a certain problem area rather than depend on the Pakistanis for inputs. Right. I mean, a lot of it is in the realm of speculation, as you said uh, rightly, uh, Mr. Ahmed. Now, coming to one uh, side of this problem, which is clearly not in the realm of speculation, which is uh, the fact that it is it is actually a fact that these men have been in custody since August last year. And now we are in November and the death sentence came 14 months later. So the government of India has had quite a bit of time to work with Qatar on this problem. It knows that these guys are in jail in Qatar in an alien country and uh, things were not looking great. So what has, uh, do we know anything about what efforts India has made or could have made to make sure uh, that these eight former Navy men could have been freed or maybe brought back to India, stand trial here or maybe, you know, serve out a sentencing in India so that they at least their lives are saved? First, I should categorically state to you two things. Number one, that government of India has not provided any details in the public domain as to what has been happening over the last so many months between the time of their arrest and the death sentence that we heard of very recently last month. Nor do I have any authentic information 
based on authoritative government sources either in India or in the uh, or in Doha. I must say that very categorically. I do not. I am not privy to any hard information in this regard. If you ask me to speculate, I will. Uh, I can only say to you that my own sense, based on my experience in the region, my own sense is that the first few months would have been spent in investigation. There would have been, after all, eight people were involved. It would have been a prolonged process of discovering the facts, of finding uh, out who did what out of that bunch of 75 people to identify the specifically culpable, etc. So, and I think that many of these people would have been interrogated separately. Uh, that so that you get uh, to know who has been uh, guilty of what. So I would speculate at this point that there would have been a prolonged investigation in this regard. Would the, when finally, when the investigation was completed and before the uh, matter went to the judicial authorities, would the government of India have been in the picture? My own sense is that government of India would have been certainly in the picture. I cannot imagine, given the nature of the relationship that we have with different Gulf countries, particularly a close friend like Qatar, that they would have, in such a serious matter, would have kept India completely out of the loop. This is speculation. Let me stress, I am not in touch with any government of India officer, uh, and I am only guessing this on the basis of my own experience. When I was, firstly, uh, this such a treason or espionage case has not happened uh, earlier in the Gulf. There have been cases in other countries. We know about that. Nor have I heard of any instance where Indians have been involved uh, in such a case with regard to third countries. So this is in many ways a truly exceptional case. Our own experience in the region does not has not prepared us for this kind of uh, contingency. But when I have handled serious cases pertaining to murder, particularly cases that involved Indian professionals in some shape or form, the government was quite happy to share with us full details of the case. I myself handled a very unfortunate murder case in Saudi Arabia some years ago. And when I went to meet the prosecutor general to remonstrate on behalf of my country person, he had the full file ready for me and informed me what all has happened, all the steps that they have done in the investigation and then what all reports they had got and gave me the report, uh, uh, gave me full details of the report, allowed me to make detailed notes in that regard so that I was... The, the effort was to satisfy me that the Saudi authorities are seriously taking this matter. They are not taking this matter frivolously. They told me all the various steps that they have taken in the investigation, including forensic evidence, etc. So based on that, and there have been similar cases elsewhere, in most very serious matters, the government's concern have informed the embassy it is not as if they had made up their mind in the judicial sense. Some instances, including the one that I just mentioned to you, later on, 
they did not proceed with the judicial process and released uh, the Indian national uh, and sent uh, the person back to India quietly without doing anything. So, it of course, uh, their own national was not involved. This was a murder case between two Indian nationals. But they decided on balance that it did not serve any useful purpose in pursuing the case and they closed it. That is an outcome which is not yet reached. What I am suggesting to you is that based on my personal experience, uh, I have found by and large the governments have been candid with us, uh, particularly when their investigations have been completed. I'm not saying this has happened in this particular case because this is truly and this is truly unprecedented. But I would not be surprised if at some stage the authorities concerned in Qatar, taking into account uh, the depth of our relationship, the importance of our relationship, and the concerns that they have about the actions of these individuals. Do recall here that these are not Government of India officials. That would have been a very different matter. These are people who retired some years ago and came uh, abroad for private employment. But I think that they would have kept the authorities concerned, informed to a certain extent, certainly. Right. Uh, Mr. Amar, you spoke uh, in great detail about also the, uh, the relationship between uh, Qatar and India. And in recent times, Qatar has also built a reputation for itself as a great mediator in the region, you know, between West Asia and the various other uh, non-state actors, especially in the region. And in and one recent headline in Wall Street Journal sort of occurred to me. It says, is Qatar the fireman or the arsonist, you know, so to speak. So I was just wondering, what do you make of uh, Qatar's evolving role in this region in the broader context within which this particular development concerning India's Navy men has arisen? You know, India also has, a, uh, uh, India sort of uh, uh, relies on Qatar for a big chunk of its natural gas supplies. We have got 800,000 Indians working there, as you mentioned. So suppose India were to negotiate for the lives of uh, these eight Indian men who are on death row. What is it that, how, how would uh, diplomatically, like you've been a very senior diplomat, how would, how should one approach uh, this kind of a situation diplomatically? First, the point about Qatar. Yes, Qatar is a very small state, a very small country. You can barely spot it on a map. But for at least two decades, if not more, Qatar has been an active role player in regional affairs. Its activism, particularly with regard to the Palestine issue, was connected with its very close relations with the United States. So we must recall that the foundation for Qatar's activism was the confidence that it enjoyed with regard to Washington, D.C. When Qatar became close to the Muslim Brotherhood, it did so entirely at the American behest. The Americans after 9-11 had assessed, rightly or wrongly, that if the region were to be reformed, it would have to give a certain role to the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood was seen as an entity that seeks to marry the principles of parliamentary democracy with the principles of Islam. And if the region were to be reformed and modernized in the American perception, then Muslim Brotherhood had to be given a central role. 
So you will see throughout the decade, throughout the first decade of this century, Qatar was actually engaged with the Muslim Brotherhood. The Qataris also got a certain image in West Asia as an independent entity as far as information flow is concerned. Al Jazeera emerged in this background. It emerged as a non-Western media center. As you know, media globally is dominated uh, by the West. Here was a newcomer in the region, Al Jazeera, and subject to it not discussing domestic matters relating to Qatar, it enjoyed largely a free hand. It not only has an Arabic channel, which is extremely popular all across West Asia and North Africa and with the expatriate uh, Arabic-speaking community. It has also got an English-language channel. Many of us who are, uh, who are fed up with the bias of Western media agencies turn to, uh, we turn to Al Jazeera with relief. Qatar became a very prominent in the early days of the Arab Spring. At that time, its support for the Muslim Brotherhood translated into the success that the Muslim Brotherhood enjoyed in the elections that were held in Egypt after the fall of Hosni Mubarak. A, a Brotherhood-affiliated entity also had a role in power sharing in Tunisia. And therefore, there was a sense at that time that Muslim Brotherhood entities fully backed by the way, this pattern of empowerment was fully backed by the United States. This set Qatar against uh, UAE and Saudi Arabia because they see Muslim Brotherhood as a direct threat to themselves. This has been Qatar's activism. Qatar has been actively, it had a connection with Hamas and with American sanction, and indeed now we know also with Israeli sanction, it had reached out to Hamas, was a source of important revenue for Hamas and for Gaza in general. It participated in the redevelopment and reconstruction of Gaza after the assaults from the Israeli side in earlier confrontation. So Qatar has been a larger-than-life presence as far as West Asian diplomacy is concerned. It functions actively in a low-key manner and is actually quite uh, and is usually quite effective. The most recent instance of their activism is to bring Taliban and the United States together. The, this is also signals the American confidence in Qatar that they, uh, the Taliban were the, opened their first office in the region in Doha and later on it is the Qataris that facilitated the dialogue between the United States and the Taliban, which culminated in the withdrawal of the United States from Afghanistan and the installation of a Taliban administration. So Qatar has been active in regional affairs and is a respected player. Even now, when we have the ongoing conflict in Gaza, the United States is very actively engaged with Qatar in order to ensure that some kind of truce acceptable mutually both to the, the Hamas and to the government in Tel Aviv is achieved. So they are active role players there. Certain changes have also taken place. 
Qatar appears to have moderated its uh, engagement with the Muslim Brotherhood and with political Islam, has much better relations now with, say, Egypt than it had before, as well as with Saudi Arabia. Ties with UAE remain ambivalent because the UAE has far greater concerns about political Islam uh, than, say, Saudi Arabia and to some extent Egypt. They are much bigger countries and able to hold their own. Now, there is also a certain rivalry that has emerged between the UAE and Qatar that goes beyond political Islam. That is connected with the Emirates is also seeking a larger-than-life role in regional affairs. Also, it is anchoring this role in its close relation on its close relationship with the Americans, where the Qataris were earlier espousing political Islam as the panacea for the region. The UAE is now talking about modern and moderate Islam and are suggesting that their country is going to be the hub of technology in the region. So there is a degree of competition between these two Gulf neighbors as well. Therefore, there remains a degree of uneasiness in their bilateral relations. Now, the relationship in regard to India. India has had substantial ties with all the countries of the GCC as well as the other countries of the region. But India's approach to the region, as I have mentioned earlier, is entirely bilateral and transactional. India does not take a regional view of its interests or its engagements. Therefore, it has a very substantial relationship with the UAE as well as with Qatar and with Saudi Arabia and with Israel and with Iran. This is, therefore, this pattern has continued. The relationships are bilateral and transactional. As far as you, Qatar is concerned, what is the element of transactional uh, transactionalism transactionality involved? Number one, it is it's a major provider of gas to India. It is the world's number one exporter of gas, and it is a major provider to India as well. Qatari gas goes primarily to Japan and to Korea, and now when Russian gas is being curtailed, uh, as far as Europe is concerned, it is to Qatar that Europe and the United States have turned in order to increase its production and become a major presence in European gas markets as well. India, therefore, has that as one aspect. But the most important aspect of the relationship is the community. Please recall here that India is the prefer Indians are the preferred community in every country of the GCC. In fact, we are the number we are number one community, number one expatriate community in every GCC country. This indicates this is a tribute to our old historic relationship. It is also a tribute to our community's uh, qualifications and sense of personal discipline. So this is something that we need to be proud of. What we have seen in the past is that now Indians dominate every segment of employment. Today, Indians are business tycoons of international standing. They are professionals, particularly in the financial area, in the management area, and the accountancy area. And you have technicians and you have blue-collar workers. Every In every category, Indians have shown, which is why in most of these countries, 
you know that the Indian is the dominant presence. You rarely know the name of the second community that is in that country because Indians are so so overwhelming a presence in the region. It is we must never forget that that Indians are cherished for their qualification, for their discipline, and also for their aloofness from domestic and regional politics. Earlier, when the Egyptians and the Pakistanis used to dominate the market scenario, they were less attractive to the locals because of their involvement with local politics. Indians have never done that. Therefore, as far as Indians are concerned, to the uh, GCC country, we reflect a democratic order, a secular order, an order in which all communities flourish and thrive, and therefore no Gulf country has ever favored one particular community from India over another. This is very important again. And this is the state of the relationship. Therefore, this particular aspect, this particular development, in terms of which some of our personnel have been found culpable in a treason, in a, in a matter that involves uh, espionage, uh, is a shock. It is a shock to the Qataris as much as it is to us, because there is no precedent for this kind of involvement. Right. I mean, thank you so much for a very detailed uh, exposition of uh, the regional role played by Qatar and where India comes into the picture. You you sort of uh, elaborated also on the huge community aspect. I really appreciate that, Mr. Ahmad. One last question uh, as we are run, running out of time. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts on the chances of India being able to get back uh, these eight Navy men alive to India? Here I will enter the realm of speculation. This is speculation which is based on no hard evidence, but it's only a sense that I am drawing for my 35, 40 years in the region and my close affinity with different aspects, the cultural, political, and economic aspects of the region. Indians are deeply cherished in the region. And Indians are seen as a very valuable presence in each country of the region. My own personal view is, I cannot see the death sentence being carried out. There is a shock. There is a shock because Indians who are so respected and are so close to the local people should have found themselves in this situation when they can be accused of this kind of absolutely obnoxious conduct. You see, if someone, you bring a friend very close to you and you trust that friend with your entire uh, wealth, your, your security, your status, and you, you believe that this is your friend. For the Gulf person, friendship supersedes everything. Once the person has earned your trust, they will, they will open all doors and windows to that person. Therefore, I would say to you that this case has not only shocked people in India, it has shocked the people in Qatar and across the Gulf. It is unprecedented. And because of this reference to Israel, I have no hard information whether Israel is involved or not, but the concerns that have emerged 
from, you know, if you read between the lines in different sources, there is reason to believe that this is an extremely serious matter. When people in positions of trust are accused of passing sensitive information onto a country that is viewed as actively hostile to your interest, to your national interest, uh, there would be a very deep-seated concern. So what I would think is as follows. What has happened just now, the court has gone only to what would be the equivalent of our sessions court. It's the court of first instance. There will be some the equivalent of a high court and the Supreme Court. And then the matter would likely to go up to the ruler uh, to consider a pardon. What will be the flow of this case and how long it will go on and whether there will be processes in between, these are not something that I can speculate about. These are judicial processes of a foreign country. I personally feel that at some stage, and I pray it will be sooner rather than later, I would like to see these people home. They, if, whether they are culpable or not, it is not for me to sit over here and just. There will be processes that will look into these aspects quite closely. I also personally feel that government of India will be kept well informed about the processes that are underway. At some stage, and I think it will be sooner rather than later, they will be back home to their family and friends. Right. Thank you so much, Mr. Ahmed. That was really, really informative uh, chat. And it's, it's it's sort of heartening to sort of end on a positive note where you feel, uh, based on your experience, extensive experience in the region, that uh, the death sentence is not very likely to be carried out. But at the same time, you have also pointed out that this is an extremely serious matter and it is something which has been a shock not just to India but, the, to, but to the Qataris as well. So we will have to wait and see how this case winds its way through the Qatari judiciary and in the meantime, the Indian government too has its uh, task cut out. We'll have to wait and see how this develops. Thank you so much once again for your time and for joining us. Pleasure talking to you, Mr. Ahmed. Thank you very much. I wish you all the best. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.